As we're moving towards Easter, we're going to return to our series on the Gospel of Mark, where we now begin the stunning conclusion of Mark's story. If you have a Bible with you, let's turn to Mark chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 17 through 27. If you don't have a Bible, the verses will be on the screen. This is Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 27. Verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come. Follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom. Of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful that you have gathered us here today. And we are so grateful for these words, these amazing words and this amazing story that you have given us. We ask that the truths of this story will go way down deep into our souls today. Father, we are really trying hard not to check some religious boxes here today. We want to have a meeting with you, with your Son, and with your Spirit. And therefore, we ask you in humility, through these words, Father, show us, reveal to us your Son, your precious Lamb given for us. And Father, it's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so this is the very famous story of the rich young ruler. Now, this young man was rich in two ways. In two ways. One, he had great financial wealth. Number two, he had great moral wealth. Great moral wealth. He is a person characterized by moral excellence. 
Now, notice that when Jesus tells him to keep the commandments, he says he already does that. And so let's assume that he was telling the truth and that anyone who knew him would agree. He's a man of integrity and honesty. And so he was rich in morality, but he was also rich financially. He had a ton of money. (laughs) He had a lot of money. And now many people back then and today believe those two things go together. Right? So if you're a good person, good things will happen to you in life. If you're a bad person, bad things will happen to you in life. That's what people think then and now. You know, if you do good things, God will bless you. And if you do bad things, God will curse you. And so as this man approaches Jesus, he appears to be the ideal candidate to join Jesus' movement, doesn't he? He's the ideal candidate. He's even humble, right? Look at how the story starts. In verse 17, it says he, he ran to Jesus and then he fell on his knees before him and admits that he's lacking something. This is a good dude. What a fella. What a fella. It's very rare you meet someone like this who has great financial wealth and also great moral wealth. What a guy. And any religious leader in history, in fact, any leader in history, period, would say, this is the kind of guy I'm looking for. This is the kind of guy I'm looking for. But when this man comes to Jesus, Jesus sends him packing. Jesus quickly shows him the door. Now, by anyone's standard, anyone's standard, this fella is about as put together as a person can be, isn't he? And he asks a perfectly legitimate question. Perfectly legitimate. What does he ask? He says, good teacher, what do I still lack? And Jesus responds by showing him the door. Now the disciples are so flabbergasted at this. That they ask, well, if this guy can't be saved, then who in the world can be? And Jesus says, no one can. In fact, it is impossible for anyone to be saved. What is Jesus teaching us here? He's teaching us that Christianity is utterly and entirely different than anything the natural human mind has ever conceived. It's utterly different. Now, what's so alarming about this story is that most of us 
When we imagine trying to get into Jesus' kingdom, we assume that we've got to get our lives together. I can't tell you how many people have told me that over the years that have told me that right here in this parking lot. A dozen people probably have told me that I've invited to Gospel Life Church right here in this parking lot. Have said, oh, I've been thinking about getting back into church, but you know, I just, I got to get some things in my life together first. I got to get my life together. That's what so many of us assume. We assume that we need to be really just like the young man in our story today. Right? We got to get our stuff together. We need to go to church. We need to stop drinking as much. Stop lying as much. Stop cussing as much. And then, then we'll be ready. We'll be ready to join Jesus' kingdom and Jesus will be ready to let us in. But just got to get our stuff together first. We got to become like the rich young ruler. And Jesus says, no, you're wrong. If that's the way you're trying to get into my kingdom, you will immediately be shown the door. You will walk away from me very, very sad if that's the way you're trying to get in. Yes, indeed, Jesus will send you away grieving if that's the way that you approach him, just as he did this young man. So, how can we avoid Jesus sending us packing? <laughs> how do we avoid it? This young man has spent his whole life working and working, climbing the ladder of success, both worldly and spiritual success. And he's almost at the top. He's almost there. And he turns to Jesus to help him reach the summit. And Jesus responds by kicking the ladder out from underneath him. There's a great quote I really like from Stephen Covey. He says this, he says, quote, How sad it is to spend your whole life climbing the ladder of success only to finally reach the top and realize it was leaned against the wrong building. End quote. This is essentially what Jesus is showing our rich young friend in this story. His ladders leaned against the wrong building. You see, he thought that through all of his moral efforts, by being a good dude, going to church, putting some money in the plate, being a nice guy, keeping the commands. He thought through all of his moral efforts, he had built this beautiful cake of his life, so to speak. This beautiful cake. Spent his whole life making it. The only thing he's missing is the cherry on top. He said, ooh, there's still one thing I lack. I just need that cherry. Hey, maybe this Jesus fellow, maybe he's got the cherry on top. And so he runs to Jesus, and he shows Jesus his cake of obedience. He says, Jesus, I got this great cake. I've obeyed all the commandments. I'm a pretty good guy. 
I just need the cherry on top. And Jesus says, my friend, you don't need a cherry on top of the cake. You need an entirely new cake. The cake that you're holding is worthless. It's worthless. And so the man went away in great sorrow. In fact, the Greek word there is very strong. And I like some translations, some translations, instead of saying he went away sad, they'll say he went away grieving, deeply grieved over this. Now, why was he so upset? Why was he so grieved by Jesus' words? Well, number one in your outline. The first reason he was so grieved is because he met the real Jesus. He met the real Jesus. The Jesus of our imaginations doesn't talk to people like this. The Jesus of our imaginations is the friendly neighborhood Jesus. Just perpetually smiling and patting us on the head. But thankfully, the real Jesus doesn't do that. He loves us far too much to do that. Look at verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Do you see that? He loved him. And said, one thing you lack. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now, what would you guys think about a doctor who discovered you had stage four cancer? But instead of telling you that, he just smiled and patted you on the head and sent you home. What would you think about a doctor like that? Is that a loving doctor or an unloving doctor? Is that a good doctor or a bad doctor? Bad Bingo, that's a bad doctor. In fact, it's the worst kind of doctor. But the real Jesus is a real good doctor. He's not going to smile at you and pat you on the head when you have terminal cancer. No, he's the best kind of doctor. And so he looked at the man with love and said, sell it all. Sell it. Your love of money is killing you. You have to sell it, my friend. You have to sell it. So number one, he met the real Jesus, not the Jesus of our imaginations. The second reason he went away so grieved is Jesus smashed his religious views. Jesus smashed his religious views. And I hope he smashes some of your religious views here this morning. What's great about this story is not only were the rich young ruler's views on religion very common in his day, they're still very common in our day. Extremely common. 
The young man was doing some great spiritual things. But he didn't have assurance of salvation. You see? He knew something wasn't quite right. He obeyed all the commands. He did some good things, but just he didn't have any peace within. He knew something was lacking, and so he was insecure about his standing before God. I've met many, many people like that. I used to be a person like that. And so in his search for peace... He receives a crushing blow from Jesus instead. Why? Why did Jesus give him this crushing blow? Well, it's because the man's search was based on two false assumptions. In your outline, false assumption number one. That Christianity is something you add. Christianity is something you add to your life. The man thought... That this Jesus thing was something he could just add to his life. He's got the cake. He just needs the cherry. See? This is extremely common today. People say, hey, you know, my life is going not the best right now. It's not the best. It's going pretty good. Not great, though. Maybe I'll just, uh, maybe I'll start going to church. Maybe I'll give religion a try. And maybe things will turn around. And when this man approaches Jesus with that assumption, Jesus' response is to show him that uh, that's not how this works. <laughs> that's not at all how this works. Christianity is not something you add to your already pretty good life. Christianity is death. It's death. It's actually what it is. The Apostle Paul said, quote, I have been crucified with Christ, end quote. See, Christianity kills your old self. Kills it dead not just kills it actually crucifies it christianity crucifies your old self in order to make way for a brand new creation so no it's not something you add it's an entirely different thing altogether you don't need a cherry on top of your cake you need a whole new cake false assumption number two in your outline is that Christianity is something you do. Christianity is something you do. Notice, the young man thought this Jesus thing was something he could do. Look at verse 17. Verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do? See that? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to get in? And Jesus says, well, if you want to get in based on what you do, then I'll tell you how you do that. 
All you have to do is be perfectly moral. Just be perfectly moral. If you're going to get in based on what you do, it's pretty simple. Just be absolutely perfect in every possible way. And then you can get in. Not kind of moral, not pretty moral, but perfectly moral. And Jesus gives him the opportunity to do just that, doesn't he? See, I've heard some goofy interpretations of this passage. (laughs) They just say, well, you know, Jesus didn't really want him to sell everything. He just wanted him to be willing to sell everything. (laughs) You know how I know you're not willing to sell everything? Because you haven't. If you were willing, you would. (laughs) That's what the word willing means. If you're willing to do it, you would do it. No, that's not Jesus' command. What is it? What is it? Go and sell everything. He didn't say go and be willing. He said go and do it. That is Jesus' command to this young man. You must not be willing to sell everything and give to the poor. You must actually sell everything and give to the poor. And then come and follow me. He's giving him the opportunity. He asked, right? He asked, what can I do? Well, just be morally perfect. (laughs) That's all you got to do. And I'll show you how. Just Sell it all. Sell it all. And now we come to the all-important law-gospel distinction. If you've known me for any amount of time, you'll hear me talk about law-gospel a lot. We come to the all-important law-gospel distinction. So many people have trouble reading the Bible and understanding Jesus' teachings because they don't understand the difference between law and gospel. So what we end up doing is we, we end up mixing the two things together, which a friend of mine calls the gospel. We just mix law and gospel together in some very confusing fashion. <laughs> it's a mixture of grace and works, and we don't know how it all fits together, but it just does, so just here it is. Okay? So I'm going to help you. Jesus is really going to help you. You see, Jesus did not have just one message in the Gospels. He didn't. He had two different messages in the Gospels. Now, first one is the familiar message of grace. If you read the red letters of your Bible, you will find unprecedented examples of forgiveness, kindness, and mercy. You will find the Gospel. You'll find it. But the second message you'll find in the red letters is the message of law. The unprecedented harshness of God's moral commands. There has never existed a harsher moral teacher than Jesus. Never. No one even comes remotely close to him. A great example is the Sermon on the Mount. 
his most famous sermon. That sermon is the law on steroids. It's the law on steroids. Jesus, in that sermon, expounds Moses' law, which includes the Ten Commandments. He exegetes Exodus 20, essentially, in the Sermon on the Mount. And he shows us what God's law is really all about. He shows us the true spirit of Moses' law. And he shows us what God's law actually demands from us. And that is absolute moral perfection. It is what it demands. People ask all the time, how do I get into heaven? It's just the same thing this dude asked. How do I get there? What do I have to do? And most Christians would respond, well, you just confess your sins and believe in Jesus. And that's not correct. It is not correct. The way you get into heaven is through absolute moral perfection. That's how you get in. Absolute moral perfection. If you don't believe me, read through the Sermon on the Mount and see what you think. In fact, Jesus closes the first section of the Sermon on the Mount by saying, quote, Therefore, be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. End quote. So how do you get in? Just be as perfect as God. <laughs> Pretty simple. Just be perfect. This is not your friendly neighborhood Jesus. This is the Lord with a sword. Saying, cut off your hand, pluck out your eye. Comply in every way with my moral law or face the eternal fires of hell. Now, how in the world do we make sense of all this? <laughs> How do we make sense of this? And why do we have such two different messages uh, from Jesus? Why do we have radical grace and then radical moral commands? How do the two fit together? Well, first we need to see that they are not at all contradictory. But they fit together hand in glove. They go hand in hand, but they're not mixed together. That's important. We don't mix them. We must keep them separate from one another. And we must see the purpose of both. You see, which Jesus, which message Jesus gave all depended on who he was talking to. So to all who approached Jesus feeling good about their moral efforts and ability to be righteous, Jesus crushed them with the full weight of the law just as he did in our story today. He says to the rich young ruler, oh, you're a good guy, huh? A good fellow. Well, don't you know that no one is good except God alone? But the young man continues to argue his point, declaring that he's a very moral person. He keeps all the commandments. And Jesus says, oh, oh, you're a law keeper, huh? You keep the law. Oh, good for you, buddy. That's so good. Now, since you're a good law keeper, 
It should be easy then for you to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then come and follow me. What is Jesus' point? The man said he kept God's law, specifically the Ten Commandments. And Jesus' point was to show him that not only did he not keep the Ten Commandments, he didn't even keep the first one. Like, not even close. You shall have no other gods before me, is the first command. You see, Jesus knew that this young man's true God was his money. It was his wealth. His money was his idol. That's what he really worshipped. And so Jesus couldn't just pat him on the head. He had to crush him. He had to humble him into the dust. He had to crush him out of his naivety. You think you're a lawkeeper? Really? <laughs> you think you've hit a grand slam? You haven't even made it to first base yet. You haven't even made contact with the ball yet. <laughs> Son, not only are you not moral, you are so immoral that you are worthy of the fires of hell. And the man went away grieving. And that's exactly what Jesus wanted. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking you're a pretty good person. I'm yeah, a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good fella. You think you're a kind person. You know how you never really hurt anyone. I'm a good gal. I'm a good guy. You know, and you think God will, on the last day, smile at you and pat you on the head because of your good behavior and let you into his kingdom. If that's you today, Jesus wants to make you sad too. He does. He wants you to grieve over your true condition. He wants you to know that in fact, you have cancer. You have stage four spiritual cancer. You're not as healthy spiritually and morally as you think. And this is the true purpose of the law, of the Ten Commandments. Paul writes in Romans 3.20, look this up if you don't believe me. <laughs> Romans 3.20, Paul writes, no one will be, de be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Let me say it again. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Romans 3.20. Through the law, we become conscious of sin. You see, the law is a mirror showing us our true horrifying condition. It proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are not healthy. That we are not as whole and together and put together as we think we are. 
The law is a beautiful thing because it shows us our true condition. Yes, we are in a horrible condition, and the law proves it. But thankfully, the law is not Jesus' only message. Yes, Jesus says moral perfection is required for entrance into God's kingdom. But Jesus' next message is that there is someone who is morally perfect in your place. And that all of his perfections are credited to your account by faith. And faith alone. So to those who think they're righteous, Jesus hammers them with the law. But to those who know they're sinners, Jesus lifts them to the sky with the message of grace. You see, the message of grace immediately follows the message of the law. The law should never, ever, ever stand alone. The law only serves the gospel. It serves to get us to the truth that Christianity is not something you do. It's something Jesus does for you. And that you receive by grace alone through faith alone. You don't climb the ladder. Jesus climbs the ladder. You don't check the moral boxes. Jesus checks the moral boxes for you. You don't keep the law. You haven't even made contact with the ball. But Jesus has hit a grand slam. He hits the home run for you. And his run counts for your team. And you don't take the punishment for your sin. On the cross, Jesus takes the punishment for your sin for you in your place. And you could not resurrect yourself from your spiritual condition, but Jesus did. Jesus was resurrected so that, yes, you will be crucified with him, but you will also be raised with him. You will be raised with him to new life as a brand new creation. This is what we call amazing grace. You can't do it, but Jesus can and did. And he did it for you. He did it all. Jesus did it all. You see, in the story right before this one in Mark, Jesus says you must, it's a very famous story, where Jesus says you must come to him like a little child with absolutely nothing to offer. And most people don't see the connection between that story and this story. You see, Mark records Jesus saying that you must come to him. If you want to enter the kingdom, you must come like a little child with nothing to offer. And then Mark immediately records the story of this rich young man who did not come to Jesus like a little child, did he? He came with his hands full of his good works, full of all the boxes that he had checked. 
he had a lot to offer. He had a nice cake. And because Jesus loved him so much, he had to knock the cake out of his hands. He had to knock everything out of his hands so the young man could see his desperate condition, his desperate need for a savior. He came to Jesus thinking he was spiritually rich, so Jesus had to show him that he's spiritually bankrupt. <laughs> just like you, and just like me. We're not even spiritually middle class. Blessed are the poor in spirit, not the middle class in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who know they're bankrupt, blessed are them. Why? Because I'll give them everything. I'll give them everything. You come to Jesus with nothing, spiritually bankrupt, spiritually poor. You come to Jesus with nothing, like a little child, and then he gives you everything. He gives you everything. <laughs> Paul writes in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You come to Jesus with nothing, and then he gives you everything by grace alone, through faith alone. 